welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello, Nikki. How are you? I'm very well, Chandra. How are you? I'm great. I'm going to acknowledge the technology problems that were happening on my side and really appreciate your patience to hang around to do this interview because I'm really looking forward to chatting with you and sharing your story. So thank you for that. Oh, it's a pleasure. Look, I'm. it may have been me. I have this wonderful, every time I touch something electronic, it seems to blow up. So it could have been me, Chandra. <laughs> Maybe it's the, just the collective technology energy at the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Nikki, to dive into it, I would love you to do, I guess, just like a little overview of what is it that you do for work these days? Oh, my goodness, darling, what I, what don't I do? I know. How are you going to do this succinctly? <laughs> All right. So, my pitch is I make people happy, right? Okay. Uh, but I am lucky enough to work in some really great spaces of making people's lifestyles better. So my first item of conquest is that I have a girls' getaways business, Beaches and Mountains Girls' Getaways, and we have several properties that girls rent out for their group of friends. We send in therapists to do massages for them, and at our sort of flagship property in Katoomba, we actually provide them with a full-time member of staff to do all the things that they normally do at the house. So filling and emptying the dishwasher, serving the drinks, turning down the beds. We even hand them a, a robe as they get out of the spa. So that's my, that's one of my primary businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Love it. I just would love to be there right now. <laughs> I know, right? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> so my love. So would I. <laughs> then the other thing I do, which I really love, is I sell boats at our marina at Bobbin Head. I am the dealer principal of Empire Boat Sales, which is an interesting theme because as a female, as you can imagine, that's a fairly well-dominated male business. Yeah. And so I'm one of the very few female dealer principals in boat brokerage at the moment. That is changing, but, um, but yeah, I'm one of, the, one of the first. So that's really exciting. And I sell primarily motorboats, second-hand motorboats, mm-hmm. from sort of $30,000 up to multi-million dollar beautiful beasts wow yeah and then I have some other little things that we have in the background going on which are startups and we've got a gelato startup in orange called spilt milk yes Uh, I want to hear about that (laughs) (laughs) which I'm not heavily involved in at all we've got a fantastic team out there that have instigated this um, Andrew and Sarah and they're doing an amazing job so that's their baby really and then we're also involved in Beds on Board, which is a UK-based company, which is using bed, boats as accommodation, which is a peer-to-peer. So a bit like Airbnb, but specifically for boats. Yeah, amazing. And that's that's relatively new here, right? Yeah, we still can't do it here, unfortunately, Chandra, because of the regulations that exist in Australia. Mm-hmm. So that is something that the regulators recognise that they've, you know, a bit like Uber and taxis, they've got to move with the times to allow these progressive changes in our behaviour of consumers yeah. uh, to occur. But, you know, anything in government, it's a slow process. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So I would like, I would describe you, not sure if you would agree with this, but I would describe you as a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, no, I would describe me as that. Yeah. 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 And so how did you end up doing these things? Did you just always want to own your your own business or were you ever an employee or how did your early career start? Okay, so I I ended up being in my own business because my kids, I think. Okay, so, okay. you know what? I've been a very lucky woman. I've been surrounded by people who've given me a good education as a child and then I've always had supportive men in my life. So that's made me the woman that is strong and thinks, oh, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know? 
not just the men, obviously the women as well in my life have made me do that. But I started my career, I did a degree in hospitality in the UK. And that was a great base degree because it covers a whole bunch of areas. So it covers business management, hospitality, HR, accounting. You know, it's a really good base for any sort of business in the future. Yeah. So that really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. I've always been a people person. I love working with people and, and I love serving people. So I love looking after people and making them feel good. That's my that's my fundamental core of who I am. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And then I was I took the opportunity myself. So there was a careers event at our university, a whole bunch of booths, and the Ritz from London were there. So I went up to the Ritz, the guys at the Ritz, and said, I want to work for you. And they said, okay, all right, so come in for an interview. So you're recalling Notting Hill, that wonderful movie, that, it, that she has all those interviews in a beautiful suite. Yes. In the Ritz. Mm-hmm. Well, I was interviewed in that very suite. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, for, for that position as a, what they called a food and beverage trainee, which is essentially a dog's body. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but it gave me a really great start to my career because they make you do all sorts of things that you don't want to do, but you suddenly realize it is actually really good to learn to do those things right from the base of hospitality up sort of thing. Yeah. We did incredible hours of, you know, I remember my longest shift was 16 hours long. Mm. But the food and beverage director there then sort of once that it's all about contacts, right, and getting to know people and, and maintaining your contacts in life. And he was an amazing man that sort of shifted from Savoy to Grosvenor House to Ritz to, to Langham, I think, was his last one. And – so I kind of stayed in touch with him and so I got to work at Grosvenor House when I graduated as well as almost his PA slash, you know, looking after the biggest events anyone would in London, so the BAFTA Awards and things mm-hmm. like that in Grosvenor House, which is one of the biggest conference and event managers in London and one of the, the highest graded sort of thing, 1,500 in their forum and things like that. Wow. The great room, sorry. So, yeah, they that was an opportunity that started me on a very good path. I then actually came to Australia because I met my gorgeous husband and I had to take a step back because nobody knew me here. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that career path here. I didn't have those connections. But thankfully I had a nice hubby who was doing well, so he was able to support me. So I, I started from the ground up again at Sheraton-on-Park, mm-hmm. interestingly because he had connections there because he project managed that hotel, and then over to Sydney Hilton where I was able to commence the growth of my career again. Yeah, right. So I was working as a, like, a, what they call me, a banquet executive there, mm-hmm. organising weddings, conferences, or and again, that's a great career in terms of it teaches you project management and yes. management and how to manage a whole bunch of things going on at the same time. Because every bride you speak to, of course, that's the only bride that they want you to. That's in the world. Yeah. <laughs> in their world. Yeah. So when, you know, Susan rings, you've got to remember which Susan that is out of the, you know, 50 weddings you're doing that year sort of thing. So that's another reason I guess I'm, I, I feel like a very capable person. Yeah. I have that sort of role. And then I was lucky enough to become eventually um, conference and banquet manager at, I say eventually, it was only a sort of seven, eight-year period really over my entire career, conference and banquet manager at the Manly, what was the Manly Pacific Park Royal Mm -hmm. at Manly, which you probably know quite well. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that career there was, at the time I was only, gosh, what was I? I was like 28, 29. Yeah. Okay. And I was managing the entire department, so, you know, 2 million revenue a year. Yep. 90 weddings a year. That's busy. Yeah, yeah. So, in fact, we changed it from 35 weddings a year to 90 years, uh, weddings a year in those two in those two years I was in that role. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a, a full-on, full-on job, sort of 60, 70 hours a week. And Hubby was doing something similar. He was working really hard in his business as well. And then we decided we wanted to have children. 
Mm-hmm. And so you can't both do that and have children. I don't think. There's other people might do that. But personally, I wanted to see my children. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and one it does tend to be and I'm I am sure that there are examples of exceptions to this rule, but it does seem that, you know, when you make that decision that there needs to be at least one of you that can hold that primary carer role and it doesn't necessarily matter whether it's the mum or the dad but one one partner to potentially have that be for that time in life to focus on it does seem to you know I guess help things run a little smoother I can't imagine trying to have so we don't have kids and so we struggle sometimes to even imagine how we would fit kids into our life and I guess that's an example of, of why we both have our own businesses and multiple different side gigs and projects going on. So, you know, to make a choice of having kids, I imagine there'd have to be, you know, some pretty big discussions around what the impact that has on the professional choices that you're making. Absolutely. And and look, not not lots of couples don't even get the choice. They have to both work full time. Mm. We were lucky enough for my husband to be making enough money for me not to have to work full time. Mm-hmm. And that's that, you know what, that these days is a bit of a privileged position. Yeah. So we were very lucky in that regard. And you're right, I've got my bestie in the UK, for example, she's the other way around. Her husband is the primary carer, he, he works part time. And because I guess it comes down to who's got the, the greatest income and the greatest future in their career. Yes. At that particular point when you decide to have children, that's what invariably determines that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was a, sounds like that was the, a pivotal moment for you and the decision was made that you would step back professionally, is that right? Yeah. I also wasn't enjoying my position at that time. I had a new boss that I really wasn't enjoying, you know, food and beverage director, I really wasn't enjoying working with. The previous one I really enjoyed working with, but this one was – not so so my my working life wasn't as enjoyable as it had been either mm. so that helped with the decision as well but yeah my my income compared to Darren's was yeah very low so it made sense because as you know hotels aren't great players yeah <laughs> it made sense for me to step back and be the primary carer so but in understanding that, I thought, well, I'd like to do something while I have children because I'm definitely not a at-home-with-children-only person. Mm-hmm. So I actually did a beauty therapy course. One of my clients was – so a lot, a, lot of, a lot of your life happens around chance, doesn't it? So one of my clients at the hotel was the principal of the beauty therapy school. So I said to her, what, what's the worst thing about being a beauty therapist? Because I thought that's something I could do at home with the kids and, and still, you know, doing something because I've always had an interest in skincare and that sort of space. Yep. And she said, oh, the worst thing's the feet. But apart from that, they're good. it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love the fact that you did that little bit of no rose-coloured glasses research of actually, you know, going straight for the jugular of like what's the worst thing because I think sometimes if we can if we can live with the worst thing then that's a really good starting point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And because of my general nature of wanting to make people feel good, I thought that career might suit me too. Mm-hmm. So I did her course and I was lucky enough to get pregnant within like a couple of months of starting her year-long course which was great because it got me out of the nasty treatments like the electrolysis and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was contraindicated to pregnancy. So it was I got all the nice stuff, the uh, the aromatherapy massage and all that sort of stuff, But because you, you use each other as guinea pigs mm-hmm. before you move on to clients. Yeah. Sort of thing. So, yeah, that was great. It worked out very, very well for me. And then, and then okay, so life got a bit – Frantic in the city, new babe in the city, hubby working really, really hard, very stressful, and mortgage over our heads, that sort of feeling. Yes. So we decided to do a bit of a tree change. Yeah. My parents had purchased a piece of land up in the Blue Mountains, and we thought, oh, yeah, that'd be a nice place to live, and the houses are like a third of the price of what they are here. So that's what we did. We moved up to the Blue Mountains. It was the intention of my husband slowing down. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. 
So we did that sea change. And when we got up there, we had a little bit of money to invest. So we invest. I, there was a cottage in Blackheath. It's another chance thing. Cottage in Blackheath that I'd always looked at and thought, oh, I really like the look of that cottage. It'd be a great place to be a holiday house, right? It came on the market. It had a studio on it which had a shower in it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we could do holiday lets, which is my hotel business, Mm -hmm. plus treatments on site, which is my beauty therapy business. Yes, okay. I can see how the threads of the things that you've done or kind of where you could see how they could converge into this new opportunity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what I started. And that was, gosh, that was 20-plus years ago. So – in those days, when you went to a holiday house in Blue Mountains, it was freezing cold when you got there. There was no toilet rolls, no towels. <laughs> you had to take all, all your own sheets. So it wasn't much of a holiday, really, was it? Yeah. Yes. So, so I changed that up. I, I did that. I made the beds with beautiful sheets. I provided towels. We did massages on site and facials on site. And we suddenly became a whole new, uh, what's the US, USP, unique selling point. Mm-hmm. So what a business we thought, you know, that little cottage, we thought, oh, we're going to have to pay for it for ourselves for a year and then it will start taking off. Didn't do that at all. It took off almost immediately. Mm, great. Which was awesome. And then the next year we had people saying, look, it's great. We love it, but it's not big enough. We need you to buy a bigger house. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that. We invested in a, a second bigger house and and put the same concept through it as well mm-hmm. and that accommodated families but also groups but you see even families when they normally go away and a mum wants a massage she normally has to sort of take that guilt off her, of herself of, of taking some time out for herself to go and have a massage and somebody has to look after probably while she's doing that in this space they could just pop out to the back garden to the studio have a massage and come back again yeah with, you know, with their friends or whatever, just hanging out in the lounge room with the rest of the kids. Mm. So that's, that's that's how that all started. And then we – Hubby couldn't handle the commute anymore because he hadn't slowed down. Yes. <laughs> he, he didn't get the memo. <laughs> or he got the memo. He just didn't action the memo. <laughs> so, so he couldn't handle the commute anymore. Actually, there was a moment in our lives when – and I'll share this with the mums out there because they'll get it totally. He would – go down on the Monday, stay down on the Monday night, come back on the Tuesday, go down on the Wednesday night, stay down on the Wednesday night, come back on Thursday and work at home on Friday. And those two nights away, I mean, I love my husband dearly, but he, he is high, my, high maintenance. <laughs> yes. so, so those two nights away, the kids and I would have such a simple sort of, you know, beans on toast or, you know, and bath time together and and very simple sort of evening together, and then I'd get an early night, and you know it would be. So I can't, I think that kind of helped me through that whole young kid space mm-hmm. because it is exhausting. It's wonderful, but it is exhausting. Yeah. So that was really good, and then so when we moved back to the city because he hadn't slowed down, we wanted to keep our beautiful house in Katoomba, but you can't justify a house just sitting there for you to go to six weekends of the year, you just, you know, you just can't, we can't afford to do that and you can't justify that. Yeah. Yep. So I said, we could bring this house into the mix, but it's our home kind of thing. And it still is really, I still regard it as home. So how do we make it very protected, if you like, but bring it into the mix and bring some income into it? So that's when the Butler concept came around. Aha. Uh-huh. Because we thought if we have somebody here that's looking up, because it's also a big house with fireplaces and quirky little things because it's an old house in some places. And yep, lots so of rooms. Somebody there that's sort of looking after the guests in terms of, you know, if they it's an old house, so if you put 20 appliances on in one spot, it's going to blow. Yes. You know? So, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. and But also keeping the fires going and, making sure the spa's hot and making sure the temperature in the rooms are right and the candles are going to keep it smelling nice. And, you know, I wanted it I wanted it to be perfect. Yes. So if you've got somebody there doing all of that, you can make it perfect. Yeah. And it forms that, that dual purpose of some reassurance for you as the homeowner 
but also elevates the experience for the guests that are coming. Right. So it's a total win-win. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I did a lot of buttering when we first opened, mm-hmm. um, which also gave me a night off as a mum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was great because I'd get a night's sleep. And then later on, and I still do put some buttering now because it's, it's really nice to, to be, I think it's really nice to be in your team's space mm-hmm. every now and then to understand what they're doing and also to make sure the standards are being maintained to what you want them to be as well. Yeah. Your expect, my expectations are, as you can imagine, extremely high. So mm. thankfully I have some beautifully trusted team members that do that for me. And we've got butlers, my Andrew, for example, who's actually my brother-in-law. Girls actually request him. Oh, Andrew again this year, you know, <laughs> which is just gorgeous. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So that's how that whole but, but, but it also – came about because I was there was a bit of a light bulb moment I was on on a weekend away myself with my I was pregnant I had my three and a half year old with me and my husband he was exhausted because he was working so hard I was exhausted because I was running two children plus plus a little business on the side and there was one afternoon I just wanted to go to sleep that's all I wanted to do and my my three year three and a half year old was jumping all over the bed you know I was absolutely exhausted and I thought, you know, that, well, this is mums, what mums need. Mums need time out completely from everybody, husband, children. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make them bad for wanting to do that. And the whole butler thing makes them feel like they, even if they only do it with us for 24 hours, you'd be amazed. You'd literally see their shoulders go down four inches. Yeah. And they really appreciate They'll often go to bed at like 9 o'clock because they just want a night's sleep. Yes. And this is the thing where what I love about this concept is that you've you've seen opportunities and you've also really considered it from mm. the client's point of view about what do they really need and how can you make it easy for them to, to get what they need and to really, in this instance anyway, completely recharge without that, you know, guilt or distraction of, you know, where is the child or, or, you know, how long have I got or any of that distraction. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. and honestly, that's what every business has got to be, right? Yeah. Solve somebody's problem. And that was the problem that I solved, that mums need. They need to recharge and they, they, they deserve to recharge. We, so many times I have to explain, they'll say to me, oh, I don't think we need the butler. And I'll go, no, let yourself have the butler. You'll see what I mean by the end of the weekend. Yes. Because there is that, and you touched on it um, earlier about that permission piece that often, particularly as women, we need somebody else or something else to give us permission to do the thing that we know that we really need. And I, I think it's it's a really interesting observation about how women, whether it's culturally or Biologically, I don't really know what it is, but it seems very common that as nurturers, women don't naturally seem to, you know, be as open to being on the receiving end. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you've yeah. got this this business, you know, that's now up and running and you've got the kids. How did the boat brokering come into it? Okay. <laughs> so... We became the custodians of Empire Marina Bob and Head in, oh gosh, about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And about six years in, the boat broker at the marina, who was just renting space from the marina, said, look, tough time, getting to a stage can't afford the rent, going to have to go. Mm-hmm. And Darren turned around and said, mm, don't really want you to go because you're a good boat broker. And they're, you know, they're few and far between. So can we talk about perhaps bringing you into the business instead of being a separate part to the business? So we came about um, arranging with him that he would contract into the business. and But that meant, obviously, as a contractor, you've got to do other things as well. Mm-hmm. So he would only be able to have limited time at the marina. So I, so I said to Jan, just by chance, because I, I, the kids were now at high school, one, and the other one at sort of high-level primary school. 
So they were getting far and far more don't need mum. Yeah. And I was getting a bit sort of tetchy <laughs> because when you work at home in your own business, you don't get that interaction with a team. You don't get a bit of banter and a bit of fun in the office. Yeah. Right? Yes, I totally know. <laughs> so so I, I was getting to that stage again because hospitality is very much like that. You're very social when you work in hospitality and you don't get that when you've got a business at home. So that's what I was doing. So I said, well, look, why don't I come in and, and help out for a few days on the days he's not there and so on. And he, he said, well, okay, but I can only afford to pay you commission only. I can't afford to pay you a, a salary. I said, that's fine. That's, I, can, I can work with that. If I don't perform, I don't get paid. Yep. So that's what we started doing. And I started working with this beautiful guy that we, we had as the boat broker at the marina who, bless his heart, was another man who supported me, encouraged me, and taught me everything he knew to make me what I am now. It's the same sort of strengths, the same sort of skill sets as conference and bank manager because you're still pitching, you're still selling, you're still negotiating with people to do a deal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what everybody has to consider if they're changing a career. They need to think about their training, their strengths, what they're good at to take that to the next space that they're going into. If it's something that they're not strong in, don't bother, you know? Yes, and I really want to dive into a bit of that because what I, I have observed in all the years of working with lots of different clients in lots of different industries and roles is that when people get to, you know, what I call a professional crossroad, it's a point where perhaps they've been doing whatever they've, they've been doing for a while, they're generally quite successful at it, And then they hit this crossroad. For me, the crossroad came about because of health issues. And unfortunately for a lot of women, that is something that happens. For others, it's lifestyle change in terms of having kids or where they're going to be living. There's these sort of outside catalysts that that forces a change. And it can, if people get to that point where they're, you know, unhappy in what they're doing, not feeling as fulfilled anymore, then it can become a real challenge and what I hear over and over again from people is I'm just not satisfied with what I'm doing anymore or my boss is awful or whatever and then they start to question who they are and question what the perfect next thing is for them to do. I was just talking only yesterday with someone who's at that exact point. She's done some great professional training. She does have a couple of kids, but she's completely unfulfilled with what she's doing. But she's very caught in that position of thinking, and I think she actually said along the lines of, I'm interested in blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't know that I could be 100% happy doing that for the rest of my life. Right. Now, yeah. what would you say to someone who is in that kind of mindset about trying to decide what to do next work-wise? I would say it's not necessarily for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if you're not enjoying something, if something's not working, then just change it. Yeah. But, I mean, that's. That's a very confident approach to it. And, not, you know, not everybody can do that. Mm. But I think, you, you know, to, to think of something being the rest of your life, apart from your marriage, which I believe should be the rest of your life, I think your career, well, as you can see, I've changed careers quite a lot over my life. Yes. And I don't see myself as selling boats for the rest of my life either. I'm now thinking about ways of getting more people into boating without selling them a boat. Mm-hmm. To share a boat or, or rent a boat or club, club a boat or, you know. Yep. And that's part of being in business. You've got to constantly stay ahead of the game and change with customer behavior change how your business goes and what it's doing and what it's offering because if you don't, you'll just get left behind and you won't have a business. Yeah. And look, I think the fact and one of the reasons why I was really excited to talk with you is because you you are such an entrepreneur with lots of different businesses and projects on the go. And for me, as a Gemini, I love variety. It's something that I struggle with in terms of trying to find a balance of where my available time and energy and resources go with the different projects that we're working on. But the variety really drives me. And I also feel like I'm not attached 
I'm trying very hard not to be attached to exactly what I'm doing now and with a pressure of this is the one right thing and this is the thing that I'll be doing forever. There's components of it that I feel like will be there forever. And you touched on this really early where you said when you were talking about getting great education and that the degree that you did in hospitality gave you a really great broad base of training around lots of different aspects really that could be applied into running a business or into other roles. But you said that you are a people person So that's a real identifier kind of identity statement. You're a people person and you love serving people and you said that's the core of who I am. Mm. And for me, I am a believer that you are the CEO of you and that you are responsible for the sustainability and the growth and the well-being of you as an entity and yep. that you can apply similar approaches to your life and your work life as the CEO of kind of going, all right, well, what is my vision? Where am I going? But at the core of it, there's you and what's most important to you, your values, your beliefs, that sort of thing. What you actually do in terms of a role that you have, whether you're employed or you're self-employed or whatever it is that you're doing, those things can change. Oh, yeah. But there's still that through line, I believe, of who you are at your core and what you thrive in and how you add your flavor of value to the world. Yep. Do you have any thoughts around that of, of, of how do you think that has played out for you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I said to me the other day that it's great saying that um, you either live a designed life or a, design, a life of default. Uh-huh. And I would say I have designed my life by the decisions I've made, by the people I've surrounded myself with, by the the relationships I've made, by the connections I've made and the ones I've kept and the ones I've let go. Yeah. By the decisions you make as a person to be like as a business owner, you are on all the time and you cannot expect ever as a business owner to be like an employee. Mm. You have to constantly be there for your, you know, if, if my butler doesn't turn up, I have to go and butler. Yeah. Right? And if the money isn't coming in as it should on my business, then I have to reset, rethink, work out how I'm going to redo, mm-hmm. to make it happen again. I can't just say, oh, I'm going to be paid next week, so that's okay. Yes. Yeah? So I think you've got to... If you're, if you're going to go into any space of your own business and if you're going to make that change from working for somebody, I think a number of things are really important. One, you must have another form of income. Mm-hmm. So whether that's a partner or a, a passive income, you've got investment going on in the background or whatever it might be, you have to have some form of income that will prop you up so that if it doesn't work, you're okay. Yeah. I also think you have to believe in yourself dramatically and when those people around you perhaps negatively talk about the change you're trying to make, take their comments on board if you think they're relevant and they might help. But if they're just being negative and naysayers, then then don't involve them in the business anymore don't talk about the business with them anymore yeah can I ask you did you have um because you've you've talked about feeling grateful for the supporting people in your life that did teach and encourage you but Mm. with these different I guess projects or businesses that you went into did you have people in your life that were you know concerned or you know on, on that negative side of things I've had to earn respect from people in the boating industry uh-huh. because it is a male-based space, because there is a lot of knowledge in that business. So I've got people around me that know so much more than me. And as a woman, you know what, you can actually take that as an advantage sometimes. Mm-hmm. I will – my mechanic at my marina, for example, is so – wonderful and I'm so grateful to him because if something is wrong on a boat and I don't understand why I will ask him and I I will he will explain to me in detail what is going on Mm -hmm. and then I learn that 
and he respects me for asking. And I'm, I'm like that with all my clients as well when I'm selling a boat. If I don't know something about that boat that they ask me, because, oh, God, every boat's different. It'd be, it'd be great if they built them all the same. <laughs> <laughs> then I will say to them, I don't know that, but I'm going to find out and then I'll be able to tell you exactly. Yeah. What I love about a couple of those things that you've mentioned is your willingness to ask questions. And there's a certain vulnerability that can come with that sometimes, but it is also, it's a learning opportunity. And I think that sometimes we can, especially when we're used to being pretty successful in something and then we're making a change into a new industry or a new type of role, being willing to ask questions is going to be a great catalyst for your learning trajectory, I think. Absolutely. And and surrounding yourself with, I mean, we've got an amazing team at the marina and some of the guys there know so much about boats, it's not funny. Mm. And I rely on – and I think that's the other thing you've got to do. You've got to use the talents of the people around you and ask them to assist you when it's something that's out of your depth. Yeah. And and say, I need help with this or can you do that because I'm not as good at it as you are, things like that. I think you need to do – that as well and be humble enough to do that you know you you say well yes I'm dealer principal but I need your help with this yeah yeah Um, and but at the same time respect your team sufficiently so that they will do that for you you know because if if you treat them like if you treat them inappropriately they're not going to help you yeah which goes back again to that training that you had back in hospitality of you know that you you start at entry level and and you have to be willing to learn how to do everything and I think it's that um, saying of you know never ask somebody else to do something you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself absolutely and I that's actually one of the core things I live by because my my boss that I worked for Andrew Coy at that at the Ritz and then at Grosvenor House he was he used to go he so he was a director of conference and banqueting in one of the biggest operations in UK. And he would, every now and then, he would go down to the wash-up mm-hmm. and he would work in the wash-up with the wash-up team. He'd actually, like, spend time doing the job there. Yeah. And then he might go down onto the floor and he might do some serving. Mm-hmm. And so I, I learned from him, you cannot expect any of your team to do something that you would not do yourself. Mm. And as well, similar to what you mentioned about the you still occasionally doing the butlering at the girls' mountain getaways, is it allows you to sort of be back on, you know, I guess at, at ground level of interacting with guests, you know, seeing what's happening in the space, getting a bit of an eye on what's happening in terms of maintenance or quality, as well as demonstrating that you are prepared to do the things that you're asking your team to do, which I think is a really great way of building that team morale as well as continuing to focus on increasing the quality of what you're doing and providing. So what I'm wondering about, so there's a couple of themes that feel like they've bubbled up for me through your journey. One is around the importance of, you know, doing some kind of training and the fact that you were prepared, you did some initial training in hospitality that gave you that broad base and that set you up for that phase of your career of hospitality when you came to Australia, you were willing to start again yep. over here. Then when you had the crossroads around having kids but still wanting to be doing something, again, you were willing to do more training to support what your experience already was by looking at the beauty course. And then now, and then going into the boat brokerage of an industry that you didn't really know a lot about, other than I guess your passion and interest um, for boats and the connection with the marina. But you were willing to again have that beginner's mind, that learner's mind of I'm prepared to get in and learn and ask questions. Yeah. So that I think is something that I think is a great takeout for people about what are you bringing in terms of your own commitment to your own learning and ongoing professional development? Yeah. Another thing that you mentioned a couple of times is the importance of connections and maintaining connect quality connections throughout your life and career because you just never know when those connections may be able to create a, an introduction or an opportunity because of the the relationship that you've built up 
And part of that is also about the people that are supporting you and that, you know, life will go through different times and different people may not be in a position to have hubby who can completely support the family financially, but to be looking at, you know, how do you build those buffers of support before you make a change? Because that's something that I hear a lot from people is that I would love to do something different, but it would be too much of a pay cut or I wouldn't be earning anything for six months. And so, you know, financially I just can't do it. And so I think that that's your point about having some kind of other income stream or some kind of income to support you, especially if you're going to be doing your own thing. It takes some time to set things up and and having financial pressure while you're trying to do something new is not going to be helpful. So I guess there, there's sort of three things that have come up, but is there anything else that comes to mind for you that you think, you know, is important for people to know or consider if they're at a point of making some sort of significant career change? Well, if, if they haven't got that way of creating that other income, unfortunately they have to stay what they're doing and side hustle what they're going to do until it gets to a level that they can break off the original income. Yeah. And I- um, that is really hard and it is full on, but it kind of gives you a good training as to what you're having your own business in the future will be like. Yes. It's far always going to be, you know, you can't just say Sunday's my day off anymore. Mm. You, know, you, you have to, if, if a client rings me with an issue with one of the houses on the Sunday, I have to deal with it. Yeah. So I guess that, that allows you to adapt to that mindset as well. Also, I think, people should realise it is going to be scary at times. Mm. Scary in terms of being out of your depth and feeling, because I still go through that, especially with the boat sales, I still go through that moments of feeling out of my depth and that's when I use the knowledge of other people or, or even the knowledge of Google. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to bring me the information I need to make me look as good as I want to look. Yes, as you are continuing to grow and learn and educate yourself in a in a relatively new industry, yeah, which is a very, which is actually a very complex industry as well. Yeah. 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 So I guess not expecting it to just be totally smooth sailing is, mm. is something mm. I'm hearing. There will, there will be there will be moments when, and you've also got to understand if you're going from a salary paid position to a business, you've all also got to understand there will be hills and troughs in income. Yes. So, so there needs to be a plan as to how you're going to handle that. So you might set yourself up, for example, with a mortgage that has a um, a balance that allows you to draw on it if you need it, mm-hmm. but you don't have to if you don't need it. Yeah. That can be a great way for people to build up a bit of a financial buffer where potentially if they have a mortgage to have the an offset account that they, you know, they use as – a savings account for like an emergency fund or, or a, a transition fund that it's while that while the money's there it's benefiting them by reducing the interest they're paying on their mortgage but if they need to draw into it then they can do that you know without being penalized mm, mm. and the other i guess things you've got to be careful of is be aware of the amount of tax you're going to need to pay be aware of the amount of insurances you're going to pay workers comp is a huge one yeah be aware of the risks. So be mindful of risks in your business. Things like very early on, my accountant said to me, don't give them a complimentary bottle of champagne because if they get drunk in your self-contained house and then they go and drive your house, drive their car on your free bottle of champagne, you could be liable. Right. Yeah, so it's little things like that you need to look into so I've never given away a bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne for people checking in. Mm-hmm. And so interesting. And I guess that the, some of these things to some people be listening and going, "This sounds terrifying. How I won't know what I won't what I don't know, and I could be making all of these mistakes." And that fear can come up and be a handbrake. But what would you say to people despite that reality? Ask as many people that you know of, of those sorts of things. So if you're setting up a particular business, if you know somebody that's already in that space, then talk to them. Yeah. And get into women's groups or business groups or, or even Facebook groups mm-hmm. that are in that space so that you can 
and and be that vulnerable person asking the question. Yeah. So again, it comes back to that, and I think of them as being related. The courage to be vulnerable. Yeah. And to ask that question, to feel like, am I the only person in this room or in this group that doesn't know this, and am I going to feel like a fool for asking? But I would rather ask it than than not know. So I think, again, it comes back to that self-belief, which you also mentioned earlier, of being willing to back yourself that if you don't know something, that you have the ability to find out and that you're savvy enough to do some level of research and due diligence that is going to be appropriate and you'll just continue to tweak and adjust as you as you grow. Yeah. 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 And you use the right professionals in the right spaces, so use a good accountant. Yeah. That there's, you know, you can't. You can't dodge that. You've got to do that properly, mm. you know. And, yes, they're going to cost you some money, but they could save you an immense amount of money by not getting you into trouble in any space. Yeah, down the track. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts or advice that you've got for anyone listening who perhaps is at that point of thinking of, of making some sort of change? Go for it. But, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah, go for it have the courage to do it because it does give you a different lifestyle but I, I would say go for it in an appropriate space mm-hmm. go for it in a, in a way that in a space that you can do that you that your core person as you are it's going to work for yes that was the question I was going to ask to be, don't expect to be oh I'm going to change my lifestyle with my own business and I'm going to have so much more time on my hands and I'm going to be able to totally relax and no don't don't look at it like that. Yeah. Um, without opening a whole nother can of worms, which this might, I wanted to ask you, how did you figure out what was most important to you? That that statement that you made about that I'm a people person, I love serving people, and I want to make people happy, and that's the sort of core of who I am. How did you work that out? Because when I'm happy. Uh-huh. So, uh, so nothing makes me happier than seeing a bunch of girls staying at my house, laughing, giggling, having the time of their lives and saying, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. Yeah. Do you have any idea how that feels? That feels so good mm-hmm. to make those people that you don't even know. You don't even know them. I know lots of them now because <laughs> <laughs> they come up back year and year, year after year and I've made friendships with those people. But it's what makes you intrinsically happy. Yeah. So the, the, the things that make me intrinsically happy in my life are my family. And I, I serve my boys to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm very happy to do so because they're, they're my world. And, and my husband, he has equal res- uh, And I think um, I serve him, but he serves me too. Mm-hmm. We have a very equal, very e- equally respected relationship so my family makes me happy and making other people happy by looking after them you know that fundamental hospitality of making somebody lunch and and them enjoying it yeah if that's you then then you're a hospitality type person yeah and look I think and it's a whole nother episode probably around this because I think a lot of people perhaps are at a point of thinking I want to do something next but I'm not sure what that is and for me I will always be an advocate of people before you make any kind of leap that you do some work around that self-discovery of figuring out well what is it that actually drives me what is it that makes me happy because we don't necessarily pay a lot of attention to that we're very busy doing but we need to potentially spend more time looking at actually how am I feeling and what are the things that I do that make me feel good, exactly like you've said, of, of perhaps some self-reflection of when do I feel at my happiest in a work context or when do I feel like I'm in that space of flow and sometimes we need to look backwards through the things that we've done professionally in the past to be able to pull out some of those moments to be able to see are there any common themes of the kind of work or activities that you are doing and how can you pull on some of those into create whatever your next direction is exactly right yeah yeah, yeah. Like, it's like the hr was it the hr on block ad with the 
accountant that got so excited by finding, you know, and she goes, yes. I, yes. <laughs> See, I can't think of anything worse. I'm scared of numbers. So I've, I've, I love my um, my accountant and my my bookkeeper. Because yes. They take something away from me that I find very scary and very unpleasant. And yet they clearly have a talent and a skill and an enjoyment of that space. Yes. But that's what we need. We need different people enjoying different things. Yeah, and that's my big vision of I would love the world to get to a point where every person that you interact with is actually doing work that they love, whether it is, you know, a bookkeeper or an accountant, it's the person that's making your coffee with such a level of care and love that you can taste it, whether it's the bus driver or the, do you know what I mean? Like that people orientate their work lives around doing something that they do find fulfilling. And I think that's why I love talking with people like you to share your story, to help hopefully inspire other people to be curious enough to explore what that could be for them. Mm, Absolutely. That's what I was all about. Thank you so much, Nikki. It was great talking with you. I'm sure we could have um, talked about lots more things, but maybe we'll uh, we'll chat again at some time in the future. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Nikki. And if you are listening and you want to check out potentially having a beautiful getaway, Nikki has been working on a brand relaunch from the Beach and Mountain Girls Getaways to Venus Getaways. So you can find out where the properties are and all the details for your perfect mini break at the new website, www.venusgetaways.com. And for buying a boat, you can contact Nikki at empireboatsales.com.au. Nikki, any final thoughts? Can I just say this while, I, while I've got an audience out there? Yes. The boating industry is a fantastic industry and there are not enough women even thinking about contemplating getting into it. Hmm. I don't think they even mention it at the schools and I think we need to change that. It's a wonderful industry and it's very receptive to women and it's very receptive to young people. We've got a drastic shortage of mechanics for marine engines we've got we need shipwrights we need boat dealers because the the when i i spend time with a lot of the boating industry they're, they're all getting gray hair so we need we need more young people where's the next generation coming from? we need that's mm-hmm. what we need we need the next generation of people coming into the boating industry because it's a great industry we, and it sounds like a great industry with lots of different types of roles oh brilliant Loads well you've loads of different jobs for loads of different people and you're working in a fantastic environment by, by the water all the time it's brilliant what's not to love exactly <laughs> well you've put the call out maybe someone listening will, will uh, be able to add that to the list of things to explore absolutely absolutely <laughs> good on you nikki thank you so much pleasure thank you thanks darling bye bye thanks for listening to the transit lounge If you liked it, please do me a favor and leave a review so I can keep doing more episodes for you. And come and say hi in the private Facebook group, The Transit Lounge, being CEO you in the business of your life. I really look forward to connecting with you there. And until then, do whatever you can to create a future that you will love through the choices you make today.